when I look at the Rams, they have multiple ways to beat you because they have multiple stars. For me, it's Debo Samuels, and that's it, and Kittles, right? So you feel like if you can take Debo, who's a big part of that running game, if you put all your Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. That was so awful that Ari's like, we're cutting off Bart Scott. You know what, guys? Barton Hahn and others just do, when you're on ESPN Las Vegas, just cover the Giants and the Jets, okay? Um, boy, that was a hoot, wasn't it, Adam? Not all the Niners have are, are Debo Samuels and Kittles. Uh, what? Who, neither one of them is actually on the team? Huh? I've never heard of a of a George Kittles, Gary Kittles, and and, and uh, Debo Samuels. They, they have a little bit more. I know you were uh, your uh, made for TV run game is something you love, so oh. which seems seems to have the ability to run with anyone. And somehow they're making Jimmy G, who's you know, let's be frank, a bottom half of the league quarterback, serviceable enough that they continue to make runs either to the Super Bowl or damn close to it. Do the Forty ers have a run game coordinator? Do they? Who is their run game coordinator? Mike McDaniel. Oh, Mike McDaniel. We got to get. Well, you know, you're in good shape here. You might get the uh, the Dolphins job. Right, big five time. Battle Born Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Four. Number five. So, Cofield Courtside Moby Arena. That's on the campus of Colorado State. CSU players warming up right now as uh, UNLV will be here in just a little bit. Six o'clock tip. Five thirty with running Rebel warm up. Uh, we were just watching the big guys shoot threes, and both guys actually can shoot from distance. And then there's the the big guy, but not a big guy, but kind of a big guy, David Roddy. As he was going through his post moves, I was uh, was telling uh, Nick here, I'm like, that's that's me, that's me, that's me. <laughs> Same weight, sadly. Same age. Uh, he does he he does look a little bit older, but if anyone out there hasn't seen David Roddy play, he is really one of the great inside outside players in college basketball. He's six five, two hundred and fifty. He's shooting 45% from three-point range, and he's a terror inside. And He's been a freaking revelation and what a steal for Nico Medved. And let's be frank, um, he might be the guy, along with Isaiah Stevens, who will get Nico Medved to the next level, a Power 5 job. Medved, I think, was in the running last year. I know he was. For the Minnesota job, and, you know, maybe that should have been the Utah choice because Craig Smith had a tough time. But a tough game on tap. Uh, the ladies, meanwhile, Adam Hill, Lady Rebels, you're seeing what's going on, right? Uh, tomorrow oh. they're going to play Air Force. They are tied for first place in the Mountain West Conference, and Lindy LaRock is doing an awesome job, and Essence Booker had another big game yesterday, and they took out the Lobos. Yeah, I mean, a game we talked about here on the show because it was such a big game in the conference. Uh, top two teams in the league, and UNLV had one loss in conference to New Mexico, and they were able to avenge that. So uh, I would expect perhaps if things work out to see a third meeting down the road. Here in Las Vegas, but uh, a good, a good result certainly for the Lady Reps. Number four. Is it bad if I say I can see both sides of the Mina Kimes Jeff Garcia battle? At the most basic level, I'll say this: uh, Garcia shouldn't have, shouldn't have made it about women because, frankly, I I know you hate this, but I don't mind former athletes getting on some media members or saying you don't know what you're talking about because you didn't play. I don't mind it. Now, I don't think you make a blanket statement that no one, uh, you know, who who, uh, who didn't play at the highest level, like you can't eliminate everyone, you know, on the nerd side. The problem with Garcia is he's trying to 
you know, kind of wipe out women. And I watched I, – listen, I love the guy, but I watched Stephen A. Smith talk football today, and, like, some of it was and, – and, it, and it's speaking to, like, the most base level, but some of it was just ridiculous. And, and you could see he was actually – Stephen A. was actually getting uncomfortable. He's paired with these former football players like Acho and Ryan Clark, and he just starts to demean them and get all condescending. And he was, like – he was lecturing Sam Acho on looking at the camera. And I'm like, this is a telltale sign that you're you feel like you're losing the football talk battle. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, but I, I feel like what you're getting at is it's individuals. Well, what I'm getting at is there's an insecurity when you talk sports, and sometimes you know people want to have an edge by bringing up something that really has nothing to do with your depth of knowledge. Right, but I mean, I think it's it's more it's not who's played the game or who hasn't. It's who studies and who pays attention and who understands and right. and all of those things. And it's it that's more of an individual thing than a people that played the game know and people that didn't don't because uh, as I pointed out that argument if you want to make that argument and I know that there's people out there that do and I, I hear it all the time if you want to make that argument that assumes that people that played the game know what they're talking about right. and time and time and time again we've seen them not yeah. we've seen them not understand rules try to get on the air and talk about certain aspects of the game that they don't understand it's an, it's insane how bad some of them are. Wow. So that's why I think it's it's about individuals, not about okay, this group played and this group didn't, so this group knows more. Like no, it's individuals. Well, when Mike McDaniel, a uh, potential new Dolphins coach, chooses Mina Kimes as his uh, director of pro personnel, and Jeff Garcia doesn't get a job down there, then I guess we'll know. Or neither one. Number three. Or, or neither one. Mina would have to take a pay cut to do I, that. I was going to say I don't know if the Dolphins can afford her with. Yeah. Uh, the upper trajectory of her career. Hey, did we hear from Urban Meyer yesterday? Did Was he able to find a radio host who could bring him on and really ask him some tough questions? Well, he was able to find somebody that would give him a platform. Of course. Who was it? I don't even want to say his name. I, like, I feel like not only does he have a search on Twitter for his name so that he can respond to anybody that mentions yeah, him. Right now there's some there's some satellite that's going to pick up us talking about one Dan Dockage. Yeah. Uh, he is – he's – Horrific. He really is radio, sports radio's ultimate wimp. He is. He, he totally is. And he did. He brings put- on Urban Meyer, and then Urban has a nice, soft landing spot. Like, can we do a real interview and find out why this guy took this NFL job? And if he can admit it was a total disaster, mostly because of him. And he allowed him to say things like, you know, to, to summarize, because the quote is a little bit, I could read the quote directly. I have it here, but it's a little bit kind of convoluted. But essentially, in, listen, Urban Meyer at, at times during the interview did take some responsibility for what went wrong. But one of the things that he was saying, which made me want to literally jump through the computer screen and punch him in the face as he was talking, <laughs> is, you know, these NFL guys, they just accept that losses happen. Because the season, not not everybody's going to go undefeated, and it's really tough to adjust to a a world where you lose the game and then you're just in there again, and you're like, all right, let's get back at it, and not everybody's, you know, lamenting the loss for a week. Like, dude, that is preposterous. Like, you're such a winner. Yeah, I'm such a winner. I just, I just, the losses would crush me, and then nobody else felt the same way. Shut up, dude. Seriously. Why it's coaching at the highest level. You don't get to put together any sort of roster you want. And he, you know? he, by the way, he talked about that. 
And he said, and I'll, I'll get that part, he said, in college, the reality is you spend 75% of your time recruiting. In professional football, there's no recruiting. It's all scheme and roster management, yeah. and you're getting guys rolling into your building on a Tuesday, and you gotta go. they got to go play on Sunday. So there's some obvious differences. Yeah, there is. You should have known that. Right. Football expertise. It's actually the best football coaches in the world. This is all they do. Yeah, and essentially what he's saying, I mean, I think he's he made a mistake by saying this out loud, the quiet part out loud. When you don't have 90 superstars and you're playing against a team with, like, three good players, it's kind of hard to win games. It's (laughs) kind of hard for your scheme to work when you don't overmatch the opponent with five-star athletes. And I don't think he, like, I don't think he realized what he was saying when he said that. Number two. So we're hearing a lot today about Josh McDaniels, Patriots offensive coordinator, um, Guy who did not get the job done in Denver, turned down the Colts after basically accepting the job for a couple of days. I will not buy that Jim Harbaugh to the Raiders is dead, especially with the news we saw yesterday. Why in the hell would Jim Harbaugh allow his brother John to take the Michigan defensive coordinator unless he's thinking about leaving? There's there's no way. I mean, you and I both have brothers. There's no way if we were at that level that we're like, I'm not handing you one of the guys who helped me get back to where I'm supposed to get to. I mean, it could have been part of the deal. He did. Part of the John deal. Harbaugh did give McDonald to Jim Harbaugh. Like he was like, hey, this is the guy. This is the guy that's going to help you on defense. Hire him. He'll win for you. But once he's there. Right. I mean, why would John? <laughs> why? I, I did see some people, some Michigan people in particular, uh, it, it was pretty funny, actually. Rich Eisen, who's a big Michigan fan, was on the air when he learned of this news, and he was freaking out. Was he? He's like, he is He's gone. like, that guy's so good. He is, too. He's a really good coach. Okay, so for you, does that mean maybe it's not the Raiders? Maybe it'll be the Saints. I don't know. Yeah. He, I, how do you give up a, a good young defensive coordinator with what they did, and you're going to stay at Michigan? It's weird. I mean, it, it certainly is one of the. It's one of those things that you have to, like, acknowledge and keep on your radar. Like, it could mean nothing. It could mean, hey, there was already a deal worked out because you know, obviously, the Ravens fired a very successful defensive coordinator just last week, and people were like, wait, what? Who do they have in mind that they're going to get? And it turns out, this was the this was the move. Um, I don't think it means nothing, but it also doesn't mean necessarily that he's taking an NFL job. Uh, I think it's it's something that you have to keep on your radar and say, okay, of all the the smoke and things that are out there, this is something that's meaningful. Oh Whether it leads in a direction or not, we don't know. But it's it's much more meaningful than just rumors and you know, hey, this might happen or this could happen somewhere else. If I've it's- recruited any of the defensive commits that pick Michigan over my school, I'm going right back to work. And I'm going back to work on the offensive commits that I may have lost out to Michigan. This is it's a weird sign. Top story. Number one. All right, biggest concern on Josh McDaniels' candidacy for the Raiders, Adam. His stint in Denver, what happened in Indy where he had the job and then he turned his back on him, his character issues and judgment of character or a concern that all this offensive success by the Patriots is just Belichick. I gave you four choices there. Oof. Well, I don't think it's – as much as I kind of want to say the last one, I don't think it is. Like, Belichick isn't really an offensive person. 
Like he doesn't have. I mean, I'm sure he's very involved in the offense, but he's that's not really his. Okay, you have his, three choices: Colts, Broncos, character. I guess character. Okay. Do you um, want to explain why it matters here? Well, and I mean, it's a, not here. It matters anywhere. Where no, I'm saying Las, it's a lot, but it's a Las Vegas specifically since he's. He's having dinner tonight and interviewing for the job tomorrow. Yeah, I don't think I don't I don't think it does. I, I don't think it matters in Las Vegas specifically. Um, I think it matters just how you're going to run an organization, how you're going to relate to people, how you're not just and I don't mean just people in the in the community or people you know that you have to work with on a daily basis, media that sort of thing. I don't that doesn't matter. It's more how are you going to relate to players? How are they going to respond to you? How you know how are you going to be perceived in a building that just went through? You know, Gruden and his personality and how he handled things. And then, you know, the much beloved Rich Passaccia, now you're going to bring in McDaniels and how are people going to relate to him? Now, again, I we don't know how he's how he's going to be um, responded to. It's been a long time since he was a head coach. It's been more than a decade. He's changed a lot. He was very young, I think. And, you know, we just heard um, from Nate Crackman, our friend in Denver, and he kind of broke down what, you know, what it was like in Denver at the time. Uh but I, you know, and I think he was a little bit overwhelmed. So I don't, I don't want to completely judge him on that, and I don't want to completely say that the Colts thing was a, you know, a character flaw necessarily. Uh, but there is a lot of things that have added up, and a lot of things that have, you know, been talked about and said and discussed about Josh McDaniels over the years, and a lot of it is very troubling in that regard. Uh, but I mean, those things do matter. How you relate to people do matter, in how you're running a professional organization, and and that's something that I would hope. Mark Davis gets a very good answer to when they sit down for dinner. It's the Big Five at Four. Brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. 570-9000. This game defensively has to be won by the front seven. I don't think they match up well on the back end. Jesse Bates has to play the way that he's played the last two playoff games. And Joe Burrow has to score a boatload of points. This isn't a game you can go into against the Kansas City Chiefs and expect to win with 24. It's going to take 34-plus to win this football game, and you have to be able to protect Joe Burrow to do that. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. Was anyone suggesting that the Bengals are going to hold down the Chiefs and, and play ball control and eat by. Casey, okay. No. Uh, Ryan Clark, ESPN. I think in some in some ways people are running out of things to say in terms of breaking <laughs> these games down. It has been a long week. There's a lot to talk to or talk about with uh, all the coaching moves too. We just had a a move with the Giants hiring Brian Dable. Raiders are being really thorough, and now the hot name is Josh McDaniels. We want to bring in a guy who you know knows the league, played in the league, former Raider. Former chief as well. Stanford Rout is up with Cofield and Company. Stanford, how you doing, buddy? Fellas, fellas, what's going on? Happy Friday to you. Happy Friday to you. All right, well, you know, give me your take on the the buzz around Josh McDaniels, Patriots offensive coordinator being in town, getting dinner tonight with the uh, Brain Trust with the Raiders, and then an interview tomorrow. Well, yeah, obviously everybody's been hearing about his name coming to the forefront right now for the uh, top candidate for the head coaching candidacy for the Las Vegas Raiders, and I think we all remember the situation going on when he was the coach of the Denver Broncos. And then when he wound up being the offense coordinator, I believe, for the St. Louis Rams. And then how he basically, at the 11th hour, backed out of the Indianapolis Colts head coaching job. So I think that for Mark Davis, he probably just wants to have a sit-down with him. Okay, what happened in Denver? Okay, what happened with the Indianapolis Colts? Why did that not come to fruition? And he probably just wants to get those serious answers. And 
I'm pretty much of the same mindset where I think you need an offensive-minded guy to come in here and try to get Derek Carr to play at the same level that he has in the fourth quarter of a lot of games that lead to a lot of come-from-behind victories. Have him play like that for an entire four quarters for a 17-game season, not just certain games throughout the season that the Raiders need to win to go ahead and get him back in the playoff race. And I think that if Josh McDowell is the guy to do that, then I'm all for it. You just want to make sure that he's not going to back out on you at the last minute. So if you were interviewing coaches, what what kind of questions would you ask? I know what you, you said, hey, for McDaniels, you, you need to explain what happened in Indy, what happened in, in Denver. But what kind of questions would you be asking in an interview with a coach? Uh, I probably would want to know exactly what are his thoughts on how he's going to run the team. Obviously, he's going to have an offense coordinator, a defense coordinator, but how is he going to go ahead and lead this team? Is he a disciplinarian type? Are you more of the uh, player-friendly, the player's coach type? How do you see this team? Where do you see this team going? What pieces do you feel that you need to acquire? What pieces do you feel you need to draft for this team to be at what you want it to be, to be operating off of optimum level. I think you want to have more of those philosophical type of talks rather than, uh, okay, so uh, what do you like better, the dig route or the comeback route? Like, I don't really think that uh, you're going to have those types of talks at the meetings or even at dinner just because you already know Josh, Josh McDaniels can't coach. That's why he's been such a, uh, a hot name for coaching, for coaching openings or vacancies, rather, for so many years. So you know he can do that. But you want to make sure, okay, do you know how to relate to the players? Can you be somebody that can entice these grown men that make millions of dollars to follow behind you when they don't have any reason to do it other than simply trusting you as the man to lead the show? I think as a as a as a uh, as a GM or if it's or or as an owner, like what you're speaking, that's the type of questions I would ask to a head coaching candidate. So, I mean, you mentioned uh, some of the some of the points about you know, are you a player coach? Are you a disciplinarian? How how does you know how does your kind of your style uh, fit in? What what would you like to see? And I, I think it's a, a unique situation because you know all all locker rooms are different. They're living, breathing organisms. So you know, not it's not always the same thing. But coming off what this team just did this year in terms of dealing with all the off-the-field stuff, the John Gruden situation, then Rich Passaccia taking over, the most beloved guy on that organization, you know, leading the way. Like, is it important to have a, a completely different style? Is it important to have kind of the same type of style? Like, what do they need for this team? I think for this team, you got to have a coach who's going to come in here and be able to relate to the players. That's number one. You need to be able to understand that you are in Las Vegas, Nevada. So, naturally, it is Sin City you were going to have players who fall victim to that. That is just the nature of the beast. Not saying that's the way it should be, but that is the reality of it. You got young guys coming in. It is an adult playground. It is Sin City, things like that in the summertime when the weather starts to really warm up. Guys are going to want to get out. You're going to have a couple that may go ahead and UI, as we can see with the Nate Hobbs, young rookie defensive back for the Raiders. And things like that, we see what happened with Henry Ruggs and the, and the lady that he killed. God rest her soul. So things like that, that's just what comes with being in Las Vegas. So as a coach, I need somebody who can understand that. I need somebody who can appreciate that. Someone who can relate to the players. Somebody who can entice these 53 guys and the practice squad guys as well to follow him so to me that right there is probably the biggest thing and being able to handle distractions 
And I think coming from New England, from that Bill Belichick coaching tree where he teaches all his guys, the coaches included, that we are focused on the task at hand. We're not worried about what the naysayers say. We're not worried about what the media says. We are focused on the task at hand. So, number one, I need somebody who can come in here and lead. That's number one. Number two, they got to be able to go ahead and get the best out of Derek Carr. Get Derek Carr to play to his entirely full potential. Then I think number three has got to be somebody that can handle said distractions because they will come aboard just playing in Las Vegas, Nevada, because that's just the nature of the beast. We, I think we could save we could save a debate about Las Vegas for uh, the offseason. I, I, like, listen, people can get in trouble anywhere. Josh McDaniels was around the Patriots when their tight end killed somebody. So, I mean, those things can happen anyway. <laughs> very, very, very good point. So, yeah, so definitely uh, he's had his fair share of, <laughs> let's just say, dramas and turmoil within an organization, uh, especially to that magnitude. So I think that, uh, yeah, for him coming over, I think that back when he was in Denver, obviously I was playing for the Oakland Raiders back then. I heard rumblings about him not being able to relate to the players. Obviously, we saw what happened as soon as he came in. He wanted to go ahead and trade for uh, Matt Castle. The trade fell through. Then all of a sudden, Jay Culler is just sitting there, and he's like, okay, well, if you don't want me and you haven't even met me yet, I want to be traded, which the trade to the Chicago Bears ensued, and then the rest is history. So I think that right there, off the rip, Josh McDaniels is going to have to make sure that he's able to relate to players. He is not going to be able to go in there and run that Bill Belichick type of mind trick. He's not going to be able to do that because he's not Bill Belichick. So he's going to have to go ahead and develop his own method at which how he's going to reach said players. And he's got to be firm on that. And hopefully he's had time to ponder. He's had time to reflect on some of his troubles, some of his struggles at other destinations where he's wound up at. And hopefully this time around, presumably, if he wants to become the head coach, he will be better for it. That's our friend Stanford Route, former Raider, joining us as he does each and every week. Um, a lot of talk on McDaniels and the coaching search there. Uh, well, I guess before we move on, I wanted to ask you about the, the games this weekend, but uh, do you have somebody in mind? Like, who would you hire that's been mentioned or somebody that's not been mentioned yet? Oh, I really don't mind exactly who exactly who they call I mean, or exactly who they choose. I just want him to be an offensive-minded guy simply because I want somebody who can get the most out of Derek Carr. And too many times this past season, I saw the Raiders have that lethargic type of offense. You heard Josh Jacobs alluded to it uh, some time ago where he said, it feels like we're just kind of out there. Like we're not actually being aggressive. We're just simply – being out there just to be out there, having more of a conservative approach. I want one of these exotic, young, up-and-coming, creative type of play callers where you see them, you see certain plays on the field, and you're like, oh, my God, I've never seen that before in my life. That type of offensive coordinator who's thinking outside the box, who can get the most out of a Derek Carr, that's what I really want to see. But I can tell you like this also, now, on the defensive side of the ball, I want to see Vic Fangio. That's what I want to see on the defense side of the ball, simply because I think he can do the best job because everywhere he goes, it seems that that defense exponentially gets better. But as far as the uh, the offense coordinator, the slash head coach, just somebody who can get the most out of Derek Carr and somebody who's able to go ahead and handle distractions. Uh, we, as we talked a lot about the coaching search here, but there is football this weekend. Uh, is it a foregone conclusion that Patrick Mahomes is back in the Super Bowl? 
I wouldn't go as a foregone conclusion, but I do think that uh, they're obviously the heavy favorite. Joe Burrow is phenomenal as he is. He's young in this game. He's in his second year, obviously taking them now to the AFC title game with two victories over the Las Vegas Raiders and then seeing him go ahead and get the victory against the Tennessee Titans. So there's a very good chance they could easily go and beat the Chiefs. The Chiefs are still the favorite because they have Pat Mahomes. But I think that if Cincinnati does not turn the ball over, and I think they have certain ball control moments to slow down that Chiefs offense and come up with some key turnovers whenever they need to, or should I say just get off the field, I wouldn't be surprised if the, if the Cincinnati Bengals sneak the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Interesting. I, the one thing that I thought when you know I was asked about this game today, I, I think the Chiefs are a much better team. I feel like... After last week, that is a tough game to come down from and get ready for another game, right? I mean, that that's the one thing that I think you get in the Chiefs' way. Oh, no doubt about it. Anytime you go to overtime, you have those types of hard-fought victories. You do have a little bit of that hangover the next week because you're a little bit you're a little bit fatigued, and that could very well bode well for Cincinnati with Joe Burrow. You see Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, all those guys. Joe Mixon in the backfield, and then Uzama is the tight end. I could very well easily see the Cincinnati Bengals somehow sneaking the Chiefs. I'd probably say somewhere in the realm of 34 to 30, 33, 30, something like that. I do believe the winner of this game is going to score uh, at least 30 points. I do believe that. But Cincinnati showing that they're able to get off the field in certain moments, like you saw with the Raiders or against the Tennessee Titans, coming up with those timely, opportunistic type of turnovers. And all you need to do is just simply give Joe Burrow a chance. Obviously, he didn't go to the Pro Bowl this year, but we can see he's one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. And the way that he has that confidence, the way that it borderlines on arrogance, but it's not yet arrogant. It's just a simple confidence. That, to me, right there has that city buzzing, and that's why they have the belief that they have. He still might. He still might go. The the If, if Mahomes wins this week, the AFC is down to one quarterback on the roster. So Burrow and Carr and maybe Carson Wentz. Uh, could all potentially get invites to that Pro Bowl. Uh, we'll stay tuned for that. I know a lot of Las Vegas fans would love to see Derek Carr at Allegiant again in the Pro Bowl next week, uh, but that will wait until Sunday night and Monday morning they'll announce the final roster, so uh, we'll stay tuned for that. Uh, other game, I feel like the key to the game, the determining factor in the Rams-49ers game is just, does Matt Stafford make mistakes? And if he doesn't, the Rams win, and if he does, the 49ers win. Well, that's the thing. I think that D'Amico Ryan's obviously showing what he did on the defense side of the ball last week against the against Aaron Rodgers at the Green Bay Packers. That shows that I think he's going to force Matthew Stafford into some mistakes, and they're going to force Matthew Stafford to simply play the boring check down game all night <laughs> long. Because obviously, you can see they're forcing Aaron Rodgers, that bad man. They're forcing him to throw the checkdowns, not allowing him to get those deep shots down the field. You're not going to see guys running screaming wide open like he did against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. D'Amico Ryans has that team. He has that defensive side of the ball put together very well. And then when you get Kyle Shanahan running the ball the way they do, they're going to be able to control the clock. Jimmy G is going to make some timely throws. I, I see San Francisco winning the game against the Los Angeles Rams. I'm, I'm just saying that right now. Obviously, the Rams – they, they're a great team. they got players all over the place, pro bowlers, future Hall of Famers, things like that. But for Matthew Stafford to have been in the NFL as long as he, as long as he has, and for the, over the last 13 days, for that to be his first two victories in the playoffs of his career, I think that still speaks volumes. I think it does. And because Mike Shanahan – I'm sorry, Kyle Shanahan has already had um, 
the Los Angeles Rams number. He's had Sean McVay's number for several times in a row. I think you're going to go ahead and see one more victory in a row consecutively for the 49ers. And I think they're going to be in the Super Bowl playing at the Rams home stadium <laughs> in two weeks. Stanford, good job, man. Next week, we're talking about Super Bowl matchup, and I would assume by then a GM head coach combo with the Raiders. So we'll see what happens this week. Hey, from your mouth to God's ears, fellas. <laughs> there you go. Stanford round. Thank you. All right. Former Raider, former Chief, lives in Houston, giving us good stuff on the uh, championship weekend and also his take on Josh McDaniels. We'll give out uh, some betting leans and likes, some prop bets in just a little bit. We'll continue to get you ready for the uh, UNLV Colorado State game. Reminder tonight, PT's Pub right there. On Tropicana near Maryland, right across the street from the UNLV campus tonight, ESPN Las Vegas on the scene. Bunch of UNLV prizes. Tyler Bischoff giving out some of those goodies. Qualify for a staycation at the Strat. Also, beer for a year from Miller Lite. It's a great place, all decked out in UNLV garb. So get on down there. Big game tonight. PT's Pub, Trop near Maryland. Tyler Bischoff on the scene. And best of all, if you like to throw them back, $10 Miller Lite pitchers. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. You're listening to Cofield and company on ESPN Las Vegas. Adam Hill, Cofield, hanging out here, uh, Moby Arena, getting ready for UNLV and Colorado State. Tip. In a little over uh, 80 minutes, at least that's what the scoreboard says here, if I uh, lose track of time. Are you in the area where you have any struggles at all with time zones, Adam Hill? No, none. I felt very off this whole trip. I don't I don't think the mountain time zone should exist. I think it's stupid. Okay. I mean, I'm here for it. Um... Like, what's the difference? Either just, just go Pacific or be Central. We need three time zones. The fourth is... Just utterly dumb. It throws me off. All day today, I'm like, I think I'm late. I think I'm late. I think I'm late. Well, I mean, I, I, if you were telling me this 15 years ago, I'd be okay with it. But, like, our phones change now. I know they do. But it was so, still throwing me off. So you should I'm be like, thrown off. the phone change or not? I don't know. I'm going to go one step further. Um, I'm fine with four. Like, I, I think we're fine with it. it does, it's never really been a problem. But if we're eliminating, let's just go two. I think we'd have. Wouldn't we have lighting issues at that point? Who cares? I'm not smart enough to figure out how we'd be adversely affected. I mean, I guess we wouldn't. We're not going to switch. We're, we'd always be Pacific. Yeah, we'll be fine. But do we? Eh, I don't know. Half of the half of the middle of the country can go Eastern, and half can go Pacific. Well, you know, my other big issue here is it's. I'm as I get older, I'm just getting the less altitude. and less. What's that? The altitude. You can't breathe. Uh no. You know what? It's not. I haven't really noticed it here. I told you, I did. I, I don't know if I mentioned this on the air earlier, but I tried to walk last night at 1230. Uh, I couldn't sleep, but it was 11 out, and I'm usually a warrior on the road, but I got I had to walk a half a mile to get to where I wanted to go to, a convenience store, and I got two-tenths of a mile, and I was like, this is stupid. I'm like, this is too cold. <laughs> and you, here, But this is like quintessential not to make the show about us, right, because uh, we're just supposed to you know, not show personality and uh, not be boring. Telling stories about ourselves. Um, you know how cheap I am. Really, that was the only reason I did it. Well, I kind of wanted to. I wanted to prove myself. I could walk even a half a mile back and forth in 11 degree weather. Um, but I also the, there was a convenience store at the hotel, and I'm like too pricey. Oh yeah. So I was willing to risk you know frostbite. 
But then halfway through, I'm like, screw it. It's too cold. It's 11 degrees. I'll just buy it at the uh, little mini mart at the uh, hotel. And then when I went back to the hotel, what do you think I did? Uh, got some more stuff? Nope. Went right upstairs. I'm like, too expensive. Okay. So the whole thing was just an utter waste of time. <laughs> I mean, sounds like you've had quite a trip. Uh, that was the most exciting part. No, it's it's the whole, it's the, uh, I've gone through this now. It's the, it's, uh, it goes back to the discussion yesterday about the anxiety of looking at menus. And I'm so indecisive on everything. I, a lot of times I just lock up and I don't do what I wanted to do. So it's just weird. Yeah, I can, I can understand it. I also, I mean, I was also thinking about the menu thing. And on the, on the flip side of it, I usually will, as we said yesterday, like I, I want to look at everything on the menu. I want to see what they have, especially if they have, you know, if they have some indicator like, hey, this is what we really do well. Or if there's something right. like online that says, hey, this is what you have to order at the place. You want to make sure you check all that stuff out. But at the same time, there are certain restaurants that I eat at a lot where I order the same thing every time. And maybe that's not the right way to go either. Yeah, I made a disastrous order last night. I got a burger, and it was too loaded. It was too loaded to enjoy. Like, you could barely taste a burger, so. <laughs> Another poor menu choice. What are you going to do? Could you have just taken some of the stuff off and eaten on the side? Uh, I actually did. I kind of I deconstructed it, and then I realized that when I got to the burger, it didn't have any taste. So then I just slathered hot sauce all over it, so that did make me happy. I mean, for a little bit, I was like, oh, this has taste now. So We had, we had a debate at dinner the other night. That I don't know how you're going to feel about this, but I had a problem with somebody's sides. Uh, what was the meal? And then, like, were there? Well, it's like a, the sides didn't match the meal. No, it's a it's a chain steak. So it was like, I'm trying to think. Like, was it like steak? And then they got fruit as a side. Well, they got applesauce and and mashed potatoes. Okay, I mean applesauce. I would associate more with pork chops than steak, but right. But it's not a bad choice. No, I, you don't it, get an opportunity to get applesauce that often. Right, but that, this I should I should add this was not an eight year old child. I get it, I get it. But every once in a while, it's nice to have something you never have that you would never buy at home. I don't know, man. I had a real problem with it. <laughs> How much of a problem? Like, did you make their meal miserable? Well, I didn't think so. Oh I, no! But well, you never you never know how much damage you're doing. I know, and that's what, so yesterday happened to be this person's birthday, and I sent, like, a happy birthday tweet to them, and her response was, uh, "Are you? does this mean you forgive me for my terrible side order? And I was like, wow, I didn't know it was lingering yep. like that. Well, because you needle. You don't stop. It was a childish order. I, I, I understand, but you just heard the, the psychology of getting a meal. You're excited to go out, and then you order something, and then you crap all over the person. That can be depressing. That can carry over to the next day and ruin future meals. Do you want me to ignore the fact that, th- yes. that she, she yes. ordered like an eight-year-old? It's none of your business. <sighs> La- last night, uh, Curtis Terry was out. I looked up. We're at a burger place. It's a pig-out place. And he got a salad. And I was like, salad? And he's like, yeah, I need to eat healthy. And that was it. I stopped. I didn't, I didn't pound him about the salad for like another hour. Why would you? Salad is a fantastic choice. I, just, I thought it was silly because I got a burger with like barbecue sauce, pork, like onion straws and onion rings. I'm like, I, I mean, honestly, I was projecting to him because I was like, why didn't I eat healthy? You were thin, you were thin shaming. I, um, I actually did thin shame. You're right. <laughs> That's a good point. You nailed it. I, th- I thin shamed at that point. Applesauce uh, is not the is not the proper order. Okay, let's build on the Bernie Sanders order <laughs> we talked about yesterday. Josh McDaniels is going out to dinner tonight with Mark Davis. How important is this meal in how both sides handle it? Mark's a quirky guy. Can, can, can Josh McDaniels lose his chance at the job with a poor order, bad sides, just weird decorum? 
Well, isn't the first... I mean, the first item is where you're going, right? Well, that's the big mystery right now. Do we have any clue? Because uh, I think... I mean, I don't want to say it because I'm pretty sure I know. Did, did, uh, on email, Willie Ramirez actually named a place? Well, I... Yeah. Okay, I mean, I'll just say, just say this. Is it near where uh, Mark Davis was living for a while? Temporarily. No, stop, stop. Uh, okay, that's it. Well, okay. no one, most people don't know that. Well, I don't, I don't know that either. That would just be an assumption. Okay. okay. Well, no, uh, no, believe me, the place we're talking about is not going to allow anyone to bum rush to the VIP rooms. It ain't going to happen. There were still reservations open an hour ago. Um, I, what I'm saying is the, I think the choice of where Mark Davis takes him is the first important choice. For right? who? For who? For McDaniels. Okay. Like, there's so many amazing restaurants. If you, okay, if he takes him to a bad restaurant, aren't you like, dude? I don't, I don't want to work with this so guy. So you're saying the the pressure on the restaurant choice tonight is is really on Mark Davis. Like he could he could lose Josh McDaniels based on the restaurant choice. I think so. Okay. Isn't that important? If you're interviewing, I mean, for it, a job? I, I actually we had an incident on the road uh, in San Jose. Um, I took uh, our buddy John Sandler to a place, and I was like, I think I'm getting fired from the broadcast now. I think John was like. This place was no good. I'm, I'm sure he talked to Brass, and he was like, it, w- it was bad, too. I, fe- I actually apologized to him multiple times. I took him to, a, like, a spicy chicken place, and it just it w- I went to it before. It wasn't good this time. Why don't you go to OJ's? I don't, I don't know. Don't ask me about food choices anymore. I'm done. I have, I have. I mean, first of all, done. original Joe's is where you go in San Jose. But that, I, I have a. Oh bar- no! Don't even say that. I have a barbecue guess, place. There. Guess, guess, guess where? Guess where Sandler wanted to go? Original Joe's. And we, 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 we shut it down. <laughs> we shut it down, and and as soon as I got the food at the other place, I was like, you know, Joe's would have been good. I'm like, what, what am I doing here? I, I will also so say this, this could be the same exact scenario tonight if Mark if Mark Davis picks the wrong restaurant, or if Josh McDaniels makes a weird order. This yeah. whole thing could blow. I mean, we we know these are very touchy. These are very touchy relationships as it, you're trying to develop one. It's important. I, I I think clearly, if there's like needling about the order, obviously I haven't learned that lesson. Uh, if there's anything like that, it could it could get ugly. And what if? I mean, if you go okay. Well, we, can I can I break in for a second? No. So I, we know <laughs> we know one of the brain trust is Marcel Reese, sure. and I think Marcel is very protective of Mark Davis. Does Josh McDaniels have to watch himself around Marcel? Like, if Josh gets on Mark Davis about whatever Mark orders, Oof. I'm nervous about this dinner. I'm not even involved. Well, I would, I would say if you're the guy that's – if you're Mark Davis, let's just say you are you have a job and you're interviewing somebody for it, and the person is like – you're trying to impress them, and the person's like, oh, this is your spot. What do I order? What's good? There's a lot of pressure there, too. There's a lot of pressure. Do you we tell them? Built, we have built this dinner up to something that is potentially going to be a living hell, and I don't think it will be. I think they're normal people. We're not. Also, the, the chicken parm is obviously the order. It's so good. All right, quick timeout. We're about 10 minutes away from talking to uh, legendary Rams quarterback Jim Everett along with Mark McMillan, and we'll uh, preview especially the NFC side. It's Cofield and Company, live from the Finley Toyota Studio on ESPN Las Vegas. Guys are in studio in Vegas, Adam Hill and Ari. I'm actually going high danger to close out the show here. Oh, boy. Down the stretch. We are going to have a good combo in uh, just a few minutes. It's Jim Everett's going to pop on of Rams fame and uh, Mark McMillan, our football insider. But as they're warming up, I'm actually standing um, on the other side of the scorer's table, totally in range of Aaron shots and bad passes. 
Mm, that's risky. I'm trying to I'm trying to test my dexterity. I, I'm feeling like I'm slowing down as I get older. So I got like I said, I got kind of fired up earlier. One of the coaches, like a five ten dude, was was working uh, Roddy through all the post moves, and you know that I fancy myself a good five nine post player. So it inspired me a little bit. So I wanted to show a little athleticism, being able to dodge, dart, dip, or something else. Dodge again if a ball comes near me. <laughs> right? Why not? We'll see. I, I, I'll, I'll be. I guess I'll tune in and watch it and see if I see anything. Well, I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be standing on the court in front of the scorers table during the game. Well, I'm, I'm wherever the ball it. goes, we'll see. Um, I in, in this arena, I actually kind of sit off to the side. I walk around a lot, so I try not to put myself in in harm's way. I'm, I'm careful. I'm careful. What do you think is going to happen? <sighs> it's, it's, it's not, not a great matchup. Donovan Williams. It's not a great matchup. Yeah. All right, AFC NFC Championship games. Figured that's all. That's all I was going to get. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo passing yards number went from two thirty eight during the week to two twenty seven. Over under. Under. Why? I mean, I, they, I think they, the, they, they dominate and run the ball, and he doesn't have to throw that much, or he's dreadful. Yeah, I mean, I I think they'll try not to throw it as much as they possibly can. Obviously, if they fall behind, this could this could change. But I think the plan is going to be the same plan they've had for a while now, and it's. Run the ball, play defense, keep it low scoring, uh, find ways to just take advantage of mistakes late in the game. Debo Samuel, last one on the Niners side. Debo Samuel, rush, receiving yards, 95 and a half. Over. Okay. Live right, rushing. The, the, the other game. What's your pick on the game, by the way? Rams three and a half. Uh, Rams win by three, so I'll take the Niners to cover, Rams to win. All right. I don't hate that. I don't hate that at all. Oh, and by the way, uh, Ari sent over a very convoluted explanation of uh, trying to beat a, three, a team three teams. Check that. Beat a team three games in a row during a season, three times in one season. You know, that includes the playoff appearance. It's actually happened, what, 14-8 and eight with the team that had won the first two meetings. Hmm. So this notion that, like, it's hard to beat a team. Well, in the playoffs, over the last 60 years, it actually has happened a bunch of times. All right, Mahomes, over under 291 and a half. Passing yards, or do you want over under 31 and a half rushing yards? Um, I'll definitely take the rushing over. I think I lean over on the passing, too. I, I think the, the Chiefs are going to have their way uh, offensively, and I, I think this could, you know, I, I'm worried about the hangover from last week, but this could actually get ugly. Real quick, Joe Mixon, 58 and a half rushing yards over under. Uh, I think they're going to want him to go over, but I think he goes under. I think they fall behind. Exactly. He, he does need to go over. Absolutely. Uh, let's do a giveaway right now. Caller 7, 364-1100, 364-1100. Garth Brooks, one-man show. It's coming up. Caller 7, 364-1100, 364-1100. Ari's going to hook you up with the tickets. Coming up. So we turn the corner of the 5 o'clock hour. Let's uh, get some more predictions, more football talk. Jim Everett and Mark McMillan right here on Cofield and Company. Stick around. Cofield and Company returns in minutes in the Finley Toyota Studio. Now, back to Coalfield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Back here on ESPN Las Vegas, Steve Coalfield along with our football insider, Mark McMillan. Mark, we got another one of your uh, former teammates, special guests, one of your buddies, Jim Everett, who, of course, is uh, very well known for being a uh, superstar Rams quarterback in the 80s into the early 90s. So take it away, Mark. I definitely appreciate you being on, uh, Jim. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Always a pleasure to get a quarterback's mindset, especially 
uh, with the playoffs going in, in, in high motion. We got dramatics on both sides of the AFC and the NFC. Uh, obviously, you played in some really good games uh, in your Ram days as well. Just give us a little insight of what it's like playing a, playing in the National Football League as a quarterback with everything on the line. Good to be here with you guys. I appreciate you having me on. And, uh, you know, it's uh, quite fortunate we get to see, you know, the Rams taking on the, the 49ers, which is, you know, heck, that was the last time we were in L.A. That's that's who we had to match up with. But we were up there in San Francisco. But, you know, your question about having a being a quarterback with it all in line, I mean, that's what you live for. I mean, those are the things that you grew up with going, you know, this is going to be, you know, all the stuff I used to watch with Terry Bradshaw, all the stuff I used to watch with all, all my favorites, like, that's that's those are the games that you live for you know it was uh quite ironic you know i look at this ram and 49er matchup this year and it, it seems to be just the opposite of what we went through we went through it mark through a, a period of where we had to win our last our last game of the year which was in new england then we had to go to a giant or to the philly and beat you guys up there and and uh, hey, I wasn't and on be, that team yet. I wasn't on that team, but I remember uh, that game. <laughs> you know, they were they had Reggie White, they had Andre Waters. I mean, they just really had a good team up there. Um, and then to come out of that with a victory and then go to the Giants and have to edge one out of there in overtime kind of, you know, reminds me a little bit about what the 49ers had to do this year. Being going on the road, beat the Rams here, then have to go on the road, beat Dallas, go on the road and freezing Tundra up and you know, and then now they have to come back and play another road game. And I'll tell you what, the thing that's similar is we got wore out. I got to tell you, when you when you got must wins three or four games in a row, I mean, that last game when we had to play the 49ers up there, we just we really didn't have much left in the tank. And uh, we were kind of banged up. This That reminds me a lot of what the 49ers are like this. I'm not saying that it's going to be a blowout or this or that, but I'm just saying the, the Rams are in the in the driver's seat on this one. And it's kind of it's kind of fun to see the see it just kind of an opposite situation. That's just my take on it, Mark. I I, I knew you were going to say the Rams were in the driver's seat. Of course, you got to say that because you know the Ram fans are out there listening. Uh, I know you're engraved in the community out there, and you're always at the game, and and, and your twitters are hilarious. But you know, <laughs> we we go back to some of the uh, some of the players that you had the opportunity to play with. Uh, what comes to mind for me is one of the all time great receivers that doesn't get enough credit is Henry Eller. What was it like playing with uh, Henry Eller? I, it just is be it's beyond me why Henry Eller is not in the Hall of Fame. I just, I mean because you when you talk about our era, you talk about receivers like Jerry Rice and you talk about receivers like Henry Eller, and I mean he was he was he was as good as anybody playing the game. Um, you know you look now you got guys got like Cooper Cup. You've got you know you got. And Cooper Cup is setting a whole new standard for receivers. I think he's got 2,100 some yards for the whole year uh, between regular season playoffs, which is, you know, phenomenal, which is a record. Um, and the reason why they have most success, and I think he should be in the MVP conversation. But going back to Henry Ellard, you know, we had at the time, we had Eric Dickerson, we had myself, and we had Henry Ellard. And then all of a sudden, you know, you, you think about the times of the Troy Aikmans in the world when they got Emmett Smith and Michael Irvin, you know, you need a big three. And all of a sudden the Rams get rid of Eric Dickerson for, you know, monetary reasons or whatever it was. <laughs> I mean, it just it kind of blew our Super Bowl hopes and, and, and blew a hole in our whole fabric of who we were, uh, even though we did have some success the next year. But it was – you need to keep talent. And I think that's what you're seeing from the Rams. I mean, how do they go out and get o, OB, you know, Odell Beckham Jr. 
off the market, not even not even draft pick. Of course, Von Miller giving some giving some stuff up with him. Um, getting Matthew Stafford, getting Jalen Ramsey. I mean, they could say they mortgaged their future, but I'm telling you, they they got players, and when players play, that's that's what you need. And I think you're seeing it from Von Miller right now. You're seeing the advantage of having not a a young guy in there, but a, a veteran guy. And you know, Mark, you and I both know that when the when the game's on the line, you want your guy that's been there done that. Yeah, and obviously, you know, with the surges of Von Miller in the last couple of games, during the, you know, obviously he had to get his feet wet. He had to get acclimated to the defensive side of the ball, but he is a havoc right now, and he looks comfortable. Um, obviously, you have to double-team Aaron Donald every single player, or, you know, it's going to be it's going to be uh, hard for you. And obviously, with Jalen Ramsey on the outside, being able to take care of the number one receiver, uh, like you mentioned, I uh, know we've been, men, Steve, been doing this show all year. I really think uh-huh. Cooper Cup, in my opinion, just as a defensive back standpoint, we know the quarterback gets the ball all the time, but what he's able to do from a receiver standpoint every week, and you know he's getting the ball, he should be in the MVP race. Everybody knows about Aaron Rodgers and the numbers that he threw up and Tom Brady, but, man, Cooper Cup, as a defensive back, is it is unreal what he's done this year. Oh, he has, but you know what he's incorporated. It's, it's been fun to watch. I know, and I'll take this story back to when he went and they were having a little camp with the Raiders and he was watching Renfro. And a lot of the receivers, and you know the defensive back, they're going to give you a little wiggle, a little shake, mm-hmm. and then make their break. All right? And that's kind of a two, two-prong approach. Well, Renfro threw, threw a third move in there. And he was actually yeah. breaking people's ankles. Not, not physically breaking them, <laughs> but you know, you know what I'm saying? He was killing people. Well, Cooper Cup, watch this. He's Cooper Cup, I swear to God, he's got the mind of McVay. I mean, if McVay could come back as like, a, you know, Cooper Cup is McVay's spirit animal. I swear to God. It's like he would want to be that guy. So Cooper Cup now, he does this, comes up. He does his little shake. He does his wiggle. And then he makes a little, little break. And then he goes back the other way, all within like, milliseconds right he is breaking people's ankles and he, he already knows he's got double coverage so he's working the outside guy and acts like he's going back inside you know and stretches stretches him out act like he's back in and breaks back outside and he's still getting open and i don't think people understand the nuances of the game as much as knowing that that's kind of impossible but he's getting he's getting it done it's unbelievable what he's doing and then the other part that people don't really get to see is they line them up on the end of the line of scrimmage, not always out there playing the wide out, but playing the slot, playing a tight slot where he's, he's getting a shoulder. Sometimes he's pulling through acting like a pulling guard, getting a piece of the strong safety and, and doing damage to him. And so those are the little things that he does that add so much to McVay's offense, not only, doing his wiggle stuff, doing his crossover. I mean, even on that last, <laughs> the last route, love of the game route, we call it. Cooper Cup's just flying down the middle on the love of the game route, just trying to clear things out. And all of a sudden they bring a zero blitz and he's getting the ball and then they're winning the game. It's little things like that, that he can do all of them. That is so phenomenal. You know, Mark, I wanted to ask you, because uh, we never got to talk about the the deal with the Bucks and Bowls on that play. What do you do when you're a defensive back and all of a sudden, you know, a play call comes in and you're like, wait a second, is this the right play call? Because apparently, I mean, obviously, zero coverage is kind of ridiculous in that situation, but I think there was also miscommunication. Right. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, Winfield on that play, he didn't get any leverage. It didn't seem like he was ready on the play either. 
And, you know, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the Rams caught them in the perfect defense uh, with the perfect formation. You get Cooper Cup on the uh, on, on Winfield with the wide open mm -hmm. space with no safety in the middle. Um, you know, on that play, you just got to get up and try to challenge Cooper Cup and just try to stay on the upfield shoulder. He didn't get any jam. He had no leverage. He was lost from the get go. That that when I guarantee when Sean McVay saw that coverage, he probably it, 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 I, I can't say that on the radio, but I'm sure he had a little something in his pants uh, when he saw that <laughs> when he saw that coverage. <laughs> say it, Mark. Say it, Mark. <laughs> he busted one. He busted one when he saw that coverage. <laughs> I'll tell you what, and so did Stafford, and that's what that's the great thing about having Matthew here, is that he is on the same page. Um, and that's what Sean wanted. He wanted a guy that knew how to manipulate the deep, the deep secondary. And I don't know if you guys have been watching, but you know, if, I think if Matthew Stafford didn't have the November he had, there's no doubt he would be in the MVP discussion. But because he had a little bit of a hiccup and 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 excuse me, November, um, I think that's what pulled him out of it because of the pick sixes and stuff. But he manipulates the secondary. He 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 does no look passes. He's He's really, he's really cagey back there. He's really, um, really smart about looking defenders off and then coming back to the seam. He did it multiple times against Tampa, um, rolling out, looking back in, but throwing out. I mean, he's just, he's just good about that. It's the voice of Jim Everett. Mark McMillan's here as well. I, I want to get both of your guys' take on this one, and it's two parts. First of all, Jim, what do you think of Jimmy Garoppolo? And secondly, I saw Mark getting worked up that Garoppolo was getting dragged by a lot of people on Twitter, and then we saw a whole thing with Jeff Garcia and Mina Kimes. Oh, what do you think of what do you think of non-football people? You're ripping on quarterbacks, but first, your assessment of J Jimmy Garoppolo as a quarterback. Mark, you going first? You take you, you go first, man. You're the quarterback. You always have all right. ball in your hand, man. <laughs> all right. Well, first of all, I'll tell you what I think. I I think the world of Mina Kimes are. I'll go directly to the source. I don't think that – I think everyone's allowed an opinion, and if Mina has an opinion, great. Even though, you know, Jeff came back, and I think Jeff – I know Jeff fairly well. I think he was coming back from kind of a 49er loyalty, protect his people, but the way he did it I think it was absolutely wrong. I'm not saying that, that Mina is absolutely right. It's just her take, and that's her job to have takes. And so I think everyone can have a take. I'm not saying it has to be perfect, but – I kind of agree with the fact that Jimmy is a little bit more of a – he's more of a team guy. I mean, it's not he's not your Aaron Rodgers. He's not that. He never has been that, even from, you know, Eastern Illinois. He's, he's very good with his ball control. He's very good with um, uh, fitting the ball in, especially in the middle of the field. Um, and I think that's what Shani likes to do. Shani wants to use that fullback. He likes to put pressure on the linebackers. He likes to put – pressure on the safeties he's not so worried about jimmy's arm strength to go after Jalen ramsey i think he'll do it every once in a while but i don't think they want to make a living out there so i think Nina's is a little bit right about he's a team guy and i think that's what she meant i think jeff is saying yeah he's a pretty decent quarterback and i think jeff is right in that part about the personal tax i think is incorrect yeah i, I play with jeff in, in san francisco um i know jeff very well as also, and you know the social media, man. It's it's a uh, it, it's a blessing and a and a curse. Um, obviously, you know that young lady had her opinion, and there's a lot of women in sports these days that are very sharp, uh, that know what they're talking about. I don't necessarily think that you have to sit there and line up behind quarterback to just to have an opinion. Um, I've never played quarterback, but I can tell you some of the things about a quarterback or an offensive lineman. Um, you know, so you know, Jeff. I, 
I hope he apologizes to the young lady and call her up. Um, but like you said, Jim, uh, you know, his faithful to the 49er fans. And I'm sure he's got a lot more followers off of that tweet. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, uh, women are, are working just as hard as men in this media business. And, you know, we shouldn't be taking shots, especially on social media where everybody can see it and try to, you know, um, you know, kind of discourage or, or uh, you know, make her not credible, which is not right. And, you know, so, you know, hopefully Jeff will apologize uh, for that. And if he doesn't, then, you know, that that's not good business. Well, I'll something else that. I wanted to, yeah, something else I wanted to look at with you guys before uh, we let Jim go and Jim Everett's with us, uh, Mark McMillan. Jim, I want you to take, I want you to take a, uh, listeners back to the late 80s early 90s and what you guys on the Rams were battling in terms of the powers the depth in the NFC because the NFC was freaking loaded with great teams obviously it was the Niners time and the Redskins had a long run there the Cowboys eventually would be there uh, in the 90s you guys had to play the Giants there were pretty good teams so talk about that a little bit and then I feel like we're coming up on something I think we're coming up on something similar in the AFC with all these quarterbacks I'll tell you what, you and you didn't even mention New Orleans with their dome patrol. I mean, just to score yeah. against those linebackers, the Sam Hill. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, that, that was that, that was a powerful group running that three four with those four linebackers, and and uh, but yeah, I mean, and then Reggie White was still hanging out in Philly doing his thing, and then you had the Giants. So I don't, I, I you know, there's there's always going to be talent around the NFL, no matter what year you're playing. I think that. You know, during our era, when I was with the Rams, the Super Bowls were going through San Francisco. And that was just how it went. They had Joe Montana. They had Roger Craig. They had Ronnie Lott. They had uh, Charles Haley over there. They 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 were the stacked Rams team then. Um, I think your stacked team now is is the Rams. And that's just, that's just the way I feel. And I look at... I'm not looking at it as just a Rams fan. I'm looking at it as a talent evaluator. I think the front four for San Francisco are fabulous. I think if you can somehow get develop enough time to get back in that secondary, I think you start finding the weaknesses. But I think you look back on the Rams side, and the reason they're having so much trouble with San Francisco is I think the weakness part is our middle linebackers and our safeties at this point. And that, that's, Shani's, that's Shani's bread and butter. So that's the matchup. You know, I think the Rams have to take somehow take a page out of Pete Carroll's playbook and figure out how Pete shut him down because Seattle does well against him. And what do you guys think of the AFC right now? I'll start with Jim. What do you think of the AFC and what's coming up for like the next five or six years with all these good, you know, young quarterbacks in their twenties? Well, I tell you, I watched that Kansas City. Uh, Mark, I don't know if you watched that Kansas City Buffalo game, and that was just phenomenal. With yeah, I was hooked up to an IV. I was hooked up to an IV during that game. That is no doubt. I mean, I, I don't know how I, I don't know how Josh Allen isn't playing, you know, representing the AFC because I'll tell you that kid was playing playing balls out. Why why Buffalo doesn't squib kick that ball to burn some of that clock off? I mean, who thought 13 seconds and 80 yards it could be accomplished? <laughs> so it, they're like magicians over there. So I I don't know the AFC. The AFC is very good. Um, I, I don't know if they have uh, such a well-rounded team i thought buffalo could possibly be that team maybe cincinnati i don't know i mean i think i think the um the kansas city team is a good as good as anybody out there they've got they've got good talent everywhere especially on offense um but it'll it'll be a good matchup i, I tend to believe that the nfc still has the power 
There you go. Once an NFC uh, guy, always an NFC guy. Hey. <laughs> Guess so. That's my loyalty's running deep. Yeah, there you go. Hey, there you I, go. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just looking at it as a look at it from talent, talent evaluator, yeah. and and it just seems like overall, when you're talking about Aaron Donald, who is maybe one of the best three techniques we've ever witnessed play the game coming in and you got Von Miller on the outside and then you've got Jalen Ramsey. I mean, that's, that's pretty stacked defense. I mean, that's, um, I think if you get to the third defensive back, you get to the middle linebacker, you get to the safety. I think that's the weakness. Jim, we appreciate it. That was a great spot. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me out guys. Thanks, Mark. All right. Appreciate you having me. Yeah. Appreciate you, buddy. And man, get that (laughs) hip right. Get that hip right, man. Dude, I'm like 16 days out. I get my stitches out here in about an hour. So cool. I'm doing right. good. Thanks. Talk to you. There he is, Jim Everett. What's going on with his hip? Uh, he's had hip surgery again. This is second round. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I would say that's a bummer, but I'm I'm sure getting you're getting the hip right is a good thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, man. Like I said, playing back in those days, man, he was taking a lot of hits by a lot of good players and. Uh, there was no flags, you know, so, you know, kudos to him to get that hip right. And yeah. I'm sure he's excited for uh, for this weekend's matchup with the Rams. Oh, the you could tell. You could tell. And and there's, you know, there's a lot of Rams history there. He was with the Rams from 86 to 93. And, yep. you know, throughout the 70s and the 80s, the Rams were always a pretty good organization, but generally like fourth or fifth in the pecking order. But, you know, the, those eras were so loaded with powerhouse franchises. All right, Mark. So let's close on this because we touched on the, the Chiefs and the Bengals just a little bit. What do you think is going to happen? Um, it's going to be an exciting game. Um, I know Joe Burrow came out and said, you know, it, it, that the crowd noise is not going to be an issue. You know, the SEC has louder crowds than that. And, you know, he, to okay. his point, they do have some loud crowds in the Southeastern Conference. And I, I always say when you're playing an Arrowhead, it's a, it's a, like a college atmosphere. And it's going to be loud. Um, you know, I, I refer him to the old school Joe Namath. Uh, you know, he has that kind of throwback uh, personality to himself. He's a he's a great quarterback in the making. Um, you know, after a game, you can find him in the locker room smoking a cigar. What what guy at, at this age, at this stage <laughs> of his career, you know, you go back to the old school, those guys are smoking cigarettes on the sideline, but he's smoking cigars after big wins. And, you know, he feels confident. Um, you know, they have Charles, they have Mixon, uh, they have a really good tight end as well. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a good game. Uh hopefully with uh, Tyrone Matthew coming back from the concussion. Uh, can help them out a lot because you saw once he left the uh, secondary in, in the first quarter, all hell broke loose in the Chiefs secondary. Um, obviously, when you have Patrick Mahomes, you know, you always have a chance in the ball game. But, man, the Bengals are dangerous, man. They don't give a crap about anybody. They're just going out there just having fun. But they're also followed by their leader, man, Joe Smoking Barrow. <laughs> hey, let's close on on this one on, on a couple of fronts. One, if I'm the Bills, I'm really pissed off. I'm pissed off going into the offseason that I lost that game. And I like that Sean McDermott said, hey, this is going to hurt for a long time. And I compare and contrast that to Mike McCarthy, who, I don't know, not that he was fine with the loss in the playoffs with the Cowboys, but he just made a bunch of excuses. Yeah. And I wonder what's going to happen with McCarthy. I just, I don't know, man. I don't know if he's just bad in front of people. He's bad with the media. I just don't think he's long for that Cowboys job, especially now with Sean Payton looming. You know, Payton, will, my guess is he'll probably take a year off, maybe two, and then he'll be interested in a lot of jobs out there. But I, McCarthy is kind of a lame duck now based on what just <laughs> happened, right? I mean, do you have any, you have confidence in Mike McCarthy? Um, no, I don't have confidence in Mike McCarthy. I have a lot of friends who are Dallas Cowboy fans who do not like 
Mike McCarthy. And, you know, obviously Jerry Jones came out and gave him a little vote of confidence that he's going to be back for an e a year. But, hey, that could be just for, an e for a year, just enough time for Sean Payton to, you know, get himself right, uh, you know, sit back and, and, and uh, you know, soak up some gumbo because the, the Saints are in a terrible cap space. They have no quarterback. So Sean's like, it had nothing to do with him being burnt out. He was like, let me get the hell out of here before things break down. <laughs> What are you doing this weekend? What do you got cooking? Oh, uh, this weekend, man, I got a brisket that uh, I'm going to put my Grilla McMillan spices on, my Boom 3.0, and I got my Sweet Heat barbecue sauce that I'm going to glaze it with. So I'm going to cook that brisket. It's going to take probably about 13 to 14 hours on the smoker. Ah, nice. All right, Mark. Well, that was a good get, man. Jim Everett, he's, he's a good guy. He really has some great football knowledge, so I appreciate you hooking us up, and uh, enjoy the games on Sunday. All right, man. I appreciate you having me on. There he is, Mark McMillan. We will wrap it up here from uh, Fort Collins and Vegas as we're getting ready for Colorado State against UNLV. Running Rebel warm-up is up in just a few minutes with John and Curtis. And thanks to all of our great guests, including uh, Denver Broncos expert Nate Kreckman and also uh, Jim Everett, who just popped on with us, and the former Raider Stanford Route. Excellent week from Ari for Adam. It's Cofield. Coming up next, it's UNLV basketball right here on ESPN Las Vegas.